Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So I want to share a message with you this morning entitled Grace and Responsibility. Grace and Responsibility. I want to unpack that a little bit for you. I want to clarify right off the get-go that I'm not saying grace plus responsibility. I'm not adding to the concept of grace. I'm not saying that we need grace and we need to mix in with our grace a little bit of law or a little bit of, of legalism or anything like that. We know that grace is, is, is the sum total of what God does in our lives. It's the sum total of Jesus. It's the sum total of His presence. But we want to talk about the responsibility that is we are enabled to take up once we have encountered the grace of God. And so this is, if I could clarified by saying this, it would, be it would be grace and the responsibility that is in it, the responsibility we get from it. And so I want to share this message with you this morning, grace and responsibility. For some reason, I have um, for years now had a recurring dream. Any of you had a recurring dream? All right, it's not one of those where you're falling off a building and you're going to die, okay? So don't worry about that. Um, but I've had this recurring dream for many years now, and it, it's kind of strange. It's, it's one of those dreams that you don't just see, it's not like you just witness it as you're dreaming or as you're sleeping, but, but it's something that you feel, like I wake up and it still lingers, you know, and, and for half the morning I still have the sense of that dream, and, and in certain moments I can recall the feeling that I had while I was uh, dreaming that dream, and, and it's a recurring dream, not in that it's exactly the same every single time, so it's not the same dream repeating itself in exactly the same way, it takes place in different contexts in my dream, but essentially it's the same activity that, that, I, that I keep experiencing. And I have no idea why this is, um, but for many years I've had this recurring dream of me surfing, okay? And that's, I know, because I live in Joburg, right? I mean, I was born and raised in Joburg, for those of you don't, that don't know, so this makes no sense. Um, I've never really had any major aspirations to like, be on the world surfing tour or anything like that. And there's at least 600 kilometers of hard South African dirt between where we live and where the nearest ocean is, all right? So this makes absolutely no sense. But I've always had this recurring dream where, I, where I'm surfing, and it's like I'm experiencing this, this flow and this ease with that experience. It's always kind of like this, the sky is almost kind of like the, a vanilla kind of color. It's, it's almost dreamlike and, and, and almost heavenly in the experience, and and there's always this ease and no danger. Like, I never at any point feel afraid um, or at, at the mercy of the ocean. I just experience this flow, and it feels like, if I can sum it up, like I'm right in the middle of what I was created to do. Like, that's how I feel when I'm on that wave um, in my dream, and I'm surfing along that, you know, the face of the wave. I, I feel like I'm right in the middle of the thing that God created me to do. Like, there's this there's this flow, and oftentimes there's slight variations to the dream. So I do have variations, and I remember one time I was actually walking out, and the place where I was going to go and surf was a long flat before the waves start, and I was kind of walking out in the shallows, and there was a person who in real life at that time in my life was really criticizing me, really coming against me, and, uh, and, and had a negative opinion of me, and he was in the dream mocking me as I was going out to surf, all right? So like, I hadn't thought of this guy for, for weeks or for months, and now he's in my dream, and he's mocking me, and I'm walking out with a surfboard going to go and surf, and it was another time when, I, and this was actually quite recently, where 
I was in the water, and, um, and this wave was coming past, and my wife, Lee, was surfing on those. So I'm like, so this time she was surfing, and I was just watching this. And like, I want to reiterate, we live in Joburg, okay? The closest we come to like surfing is the internet, okay? That's the closest we come to it out here. Um, and, and so I've had these different variations, but what I've come to understand that the feeling I get in those dreams is something like the feeling you get when you begin to operate in the gift and the call that God has for your life. It's something like that feeling that you get when you know that this is the thing I was created to do and there is a flow of God's presence and God's anointing and God's favor and God's grace in my life. It's like I'm just gliding along that wave and it's effortless and it's fearless and, it's, and I know that this is the thing I was made for. This is the thing that I was put on this earth for. You begin to operate in this, this sense of ease rather than striving and straining in your own strength you begin to be faithful to rest in the power of the wave of God beneath you that carries you along. And so often when I minister or I reflect on my calling, I get flashbacks to those dreams that even though you know, we're often anxious and we often fret and we often wonder what can I improve on and what can I do better, when I close my eyes and I begin to rely on the grace of God, I realize I'm, just, I'm being moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's something so far beyond me. It's something that I can only just enjoy and experience and, and be enveloped by. You know, when, when you experience that, it's like the sovereignty of God is all over you. He has ordained your life. He has ordained this moment. And He has given you the unction and the ability and His presence, His grace in your life to move you into your calling and your destiny. It's like a supernatural flow where, where the sovereignty of God is all over you and the opinions of others don't matter and everything else fades away and you just flow with the Holy Spirit. The logistics don't matter. The criticism doesn't matter. God is with you. And, um, and it's an amazing thing to experience the call of God, to experience the grace of God in your life. How many of you here, though, I know that we're in Joburg and a lot of you may never have tried this, but how many of you here have ever actually tried to go surfing? Anybody here? Right, that's like five or six hands, all right? So not a lot of us have tried this, and so I'll relay a little bit of my story because, um, because I've always had these dreams. I kind of thought, you know what, I'd love to really get out into the ocean. Like, I'm going to take this spiritual thing that God is sharing with me, and I'm going to make it real, baby. I'm going to, I'm going to go out there. And so I had some friends in Durban, and uh, there was a slight drizzle the one day that I was there with some of my Durban mates. And uh, when the drizzle comes, apparently the swell arrives, and it's the right wind, and it's the right swell, and the right break. And, and so they took me out, and we went to go surfing. I was so uh, excited. I was like, I've literally dreamt of this all my life, and I know. I feel the feeling. I know what it feels like. I'm just going to get up on this board, and I'm going to shock all of these Durbanites who think that this Joburg boy can't surf. I'm just going to get up, and I'm just going to slide along the wave, and it's going to be glorious. And so I was so excited. They gave me a board that was about as tall as I am, which if you know anything about surfing, that means that you're probably not going to get it right. Um, it's going to be really difficult. And we paddled out, and they didn't just take me to some kind of you know, beginner beach. They took me to um, the Durban, the North Beach Pier, which is, for context, where they surfed the Mr. Price Pro for many years um, during a swell. And so I'm paddling out along concrete pillars along the pier, and you've got the water crashing in between the pillars and fishermen's lines coming overhead and whatever. And eventually, I get out into the back line, and I sit there, and I wait. And the first really nice wave comes along, and then I go, Adrian, this is you. And I'm like, this is my moment. This is where it's going to happen. 
all right? And so I was like, they didn't teach me anything. They didn't give me any tips, nothing. Just, okay, you go ahead and do it. And so I thought that the glory of the Lord would, you know, shine upon me, and I would just rise up from that moment. And, and uh, I, I think I got up for 0.3 seconds before the wave rolled me, and, uh, and the wave pushed me out about halfway out into the set of waves. And so then all I needed to do was get back to this group of friends I had out in the back line. About 30 minutes later, I was still in exactly the same place, okay? I, had, I just couldn't get underneath the waves well enough to get out there again, and I was exhausted. And for all 30 minutes, this group of guys were laughing at me. All 30 minutes. And so eventually, I was, I was exhausted. I just let the waves like, wash, me out to the, you know, wash me out onto the shore, and I just sat there on the beach you know, contemplating my me- the meaning of life. And, and, um, and so that was my, my, my surfing experience. My first wave was that. And so a few years later, I got another chance. This time I was in Cocoa Beach, Florida, in the USA. And that is where Overland Missions have their, their, their head offices in the US. And so I was over there and I was visiting their, their, uh, their US base. And, um, and, and so they have the space in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And Phil Smithers... Um, who often shares here at Anchor and is really on the journey with us. He has a house out there, and so he was still in Africa, in Zambia, but he phoned me and he said, hey, if you want to go surfing, my garage is unlocked, open it up, and you know, pick your board, and you can go out and just surf for the day and use it as much as you want. And so I, I opened up his garage with great excitement because this was going to be my moment. I was like, I was young the time before, I was foolish, but now I've grown in the Lord and I will do this. And so I went out and I picked the board. I've actually got a photo. This was me a couple of years ago. I didn't make the same mistake. I was like, I'm getting the biggest one in here. I'm going to take this board and I'm going to go surf. And so I took it out. You know, for those of you that don't know, Cocoa Beach, Florida is the home, the hometown of the greatest surfer of all time, Kelly Slater, like nine times world champion. Um, he's from Cocoa Beach, right? And so I took this board out. And, um, and, and it's just not as easy as you think it would be. Um, even with a big board, I did get up for a couple seconds at a time, but at one point when I was trying to stand up on the board, my hand kind of slipped off the rail, um, off the side of the board, and I face-planted, okay, onto my own board while trying to stand up. My face literally hit the board so hard that I cut my chin open on my own board just trying to stand up. And again, other surfers were laughing, okay? I was again in that same predicament. I'm like, this has gone from a dream to a nightmare trying to experience this. But, but I'll get there, and I believe the best is yet to come. Um, but here's the thing, though, and this is a message that I really believe that God um, has been impressing on our hearts. Uh, both Jake from Overland Missions as well as Pastor Mark last week kind of shared the same thing in the past two weeks that the calling of God, the call of God, and the walk with God, and the journey with God, and the anointing of God is by grace. Do you know that? The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. You cannot earn them. You cannot achieve them. You cannot keep them by your efforts. They are purely by the grace of God, and it's a gift of God's sovereignty that He gives to us. But grace also enables us to take up responsibility. If I want to, in the natural experience, surfing down the face of a wave the way I've dreamt about, how many of you know that I'm not just going to do it by just taking a board and paddling out into the ocean? If I wanted to see my dreams come true and experience and fulfill the potential that God and the vision that God has put in my heart, 
I need to take up my responsibility. I need to take surfing seriously. I need to train hard. I need to get out there. I need to fail over and over and over again. And I need to work at it and dedicate myself to it and commit myself to it before I will begin to experience what I dreamt about. And so within the grace of God, there is this sense of our responsibility. The things that God gives us to dream about, the future that He has put in our heart, the calling and the destiny on your life is by grace, but that same grace enables you to take up the responsibility it requires to see it fulfilled. And when you fail and when you struggle and when it's difficult, it doesn't mean that the dream isn't from God. It just means that you're still busy on the process of fulfilling it. And so as believers, we know that God has given us a dream, but we know that it's not going to happen unless we take up our responsibility, unless we pursue the dream, unless we walk it out faithfully day after day after day, unless we are willing to sacrifice for the dream and endure difficult seasons in order to see it come to pass. The truth is, is that too many Christians give up when the going gets tough. When the, the tough going is often a part of God's process to prepare you for the dream, to prepare you to be able to, if I didn't have those experiences of surfing, I wouldn't even know what, I'm, what I was in for if that was what I was pursuing. And so they're meant to drive us forward and to increase our dependency on Jesus in order to see them come to pass. The Irish poet uh, W.B. Yeats, he said this, he said, in dreams begin responsibility. In dreams begin responsibility. The moment you have a dream, there's a value attached to it. And you can't value something without sacrificing for that value, without taking up a responsibility for that value. It comes at a cost, it comes at a price, but a price that we are happy to pay because it's connected to something we're passionate about. And so the scripture I, I want to give you this morning is Romans 12 and verse 1, where Paul is, has spent here in the book of Romans, he has spent 11 chapters telling us about the grace of God and why what we have is a free gift. And he then moves to Romans 12:1, which is our response to the grace. So there's grace and then there's response. And Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view, in view, the vision, the dream of the mercies of God, the grace of God, the presence of God, in view of what I've just been telling you about for 11 chapters about God's grace, I urge you to present your bodies. That's, an, that, that, that's a, a verb, to present, to bring yourself forward, to offer yourself. It's an action that we take. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to live sacrificially, to live uh, in a way that you give up yourself in surrender to the purposes of God. Holy and pleasing to God. This pleases God when we do this. This is your true worship. In view of the grace of God, I urge you to present yourself as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. In other words, worship is a response to the grace of God. When you realize what God has done for you, you realize His goodness and His love and His mercy, we really have no other option. We, we don't want to do anything else except turn our face towards Him and serve Him wholeheartedly. We don't always love the idea of responsibility, right? Some of you wish that the title was just grace and not grace and responsibilities. I go, okay, here we go. 
And the reason why is because we have so much responsibility in life already. How many of you know? How many of you ever, you know, gotten a phone call and you can recognize the number already because you know it's that like 435 rand and 60 cents that was short paid by your medical aid and they're phoning for it again and you only really listen when the lawyers contact you. How many of you have been that? I'm like, I can deal with the lawyers later. I'll, you know, I'll just leave this for now. We have so many responsibilities that overwhelm us. By the time you've gotten your kids to school, you've paid all your bills, you've completed your work, you've given time to your friends, you've spent quality time with your spouse, you've gone to the gym, you've eaten healthy, you've stayed current with world events and responded to the thousands of WhatsApp messages that come into your phone each day. Who has time for more responsibility after that? So many times people come to church and they're like, oh, thank God, Sunday. You know, it's like Friday and a couch and Netflix, like church, Sunday, band, worship, Jesus. Now the pastor's still talking about responsibility. It's like, I, this is, I came here to get away from responsibility. People feel that way. And most of us are looking at how we can minimize the responsibility in our life or get away from it completely. I mean, I'm at the stage, and I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, that I'm at the stage where I have negative feelings about people phoning me on my phone. Okay? Because previous generations had a completely different experience with the telephone. Okay? they actually used it to talk to people on it. All right? So that, that's what people in the old days used to do with phones. They used to talk to people, like actually live calling a voice-to-voice type of phone call. And today, for us, a phone is just a seldom-used app on our phones. Okay? It's that little app, that little green one, that we never use. And when we get furious when people have the audacity to phone us, like how dare you just phone me? You text me first to see if I'm even taking phone calls today. And then I'll text you back with a window that I'm comfortable with being phoned in, right? We just want to get away. Like, don't even phone me anymore. We don't even want phone calls anymore. But when we apply the same mindset to our church and to our calling, we're ultimately in danger of never truly fulfilling the potential that God has put in our lives. When we try and avoid the responsibility that God has given us as His people, we're in danger of living lives that end up being half full. Lives that never truly see potential, never truly see influence, never truly see um, a city shaped or a nation changed. We never operate in that flow. You can't have the flow without the responsibility without the effort, without the moment, without the time. And the idea that your calling won't also include some discomfort, some sacrifice, a few battles along the way, is simply unbiblical. It wasn't the journey for Paul. It wasn't the journey for the disciples. It wasn't the journey for anybody who put up their hand to follow Jesus. There were battles they had to fight. There was faith and patience that they needed in order to inherit the promises. When God told Ananias... When, when, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he encountered Jesus on the road and he was blinded in that encounter and, and, and he went um, into, the, into Damascus and God sent Ananias to go and pray for him. The word Ananias, by the way, means grace. And it was when Ananias prayed for him and put his hands on him that something like scales fell off of his eyes. Where his eyes were opened up to the gospel and in that night uh, Paul, Saul became Paul and he was baptized and and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he received the call of God. But when God told Ananias to go and pray for him, to go and lay hands on Saul, Ananias was hesitant. 
Because he said to God, I know this guy. He's infamous. He has authority from the Sanhedrin. He's, he's tearing families apart and he's throwing Christians into prison and, and will I go and pray for this man? He is a dangerous man. But in Acts 9 verse 15, we see God's response. It says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Will everybody just put their hands up right now and say, So am I? Come on, this is not just Paul. We are all chosen instruments of God. He says, go and pray for him because he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then God says this. Strangely, he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I'll show him that it's going to cost him something to take this message forward, to fulfill the calling, to ride the wave of God's grace. So often we say things like, here I am, God, send me. How many of you have like passionately in worship like repeated Isaiah 6? Here I am, God, send me, use me. I want to make a difference. I want to have influence. I want to pioneer for hope. I want to build the church. And God says, okay, let's start by getting up early to pray. That's it, you want it? I'm going to use you, I'm going to do it. You asked for it. I put it in your heart. You were created for this. Get up early and pray. How about you start by actually joining a team and serving in church? Start by giving finances to the church. Start by leading a community group or discipling some people. And we're like, uh, I'm sorry, God, I think I misunderstood there. I, you know, when I said send me, I meant so that I could like have the microphone and preach or maybe get a book deal, write a great book and like, you know, have it out there or maybe have my own show on TBN. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking getting up early to pray and giving my money and discipling people personally and dealing with all of that. I, I didn't really mean all of that. Because in essence, just like the rest of society, the church is often guilty of wanting the rewards without the responsibility. We want the rewards, we want to glide on that wave, but you've never even paddled out into the ocean. You've never even bought a surfboard. You've never even given yourself the opportunity to pursue it. We want rewards without the responsibility. But maybe this is because we've been looking at responsibility the wrong way. I really believe that's our issue. I think that when we hear words like responsibility and discipline and these kinds of things, like we kind of have this rebellious kick against it where we're like, ah, I don't know if that's for me. I just want to taper my experience here. I want to customize my experience. I kind of want to just make it safe, give me some buffer, give me some room, like not get involved, like come to church, but don't talk too many people because once you start talking to them, they're going to invite you to a community group. And once you start going to a community group, you're going to start serving. And once you start serving, before you know it, they've got your whole life and you're serving in the church and everything belongs to Jesus. And I don't, I'm not sure if I want that yet. Maybe that's not true for anybody here this morning, but maybe that was a prophetic word for somebody here this morning, all right? Maybe it's because we've approached responsibility in the wrong way. Because rather than seeing responsibility as something that we have to do, we've got to understand that this is something that we get to do. This is something that we actually get to do. How many of you here enjoy running? Okay, that's something we can do in Joburg. Running. Right. Two hands, we'll pray for you. Three hands, we'll pray for you. 
How many of you are thinking right now, I can't wait to get home so that I could go for a run? Okay, don't put up your hand right now because we don't believe you. So that's, that's almost none of us. But what about people who have been in accidents? What about people who have been in car accidents or in sporting accidents where they've lost their ability to run? I had an injury in sport about eight months ago, and I've only just begun to run, and it felt so great and so weird, so frustrating at the same time that I can't run properly yet. But because my ability to run was taken away, to me and to those like me and others that have experienced worse injuries, running is a privilege. If you've ever been temporarily paralyzed, I'm telling you, you come out of that and you just want to run every day of your life because you realize it's actually a gift that you get to do it. We think about running like, why would you run? Why would anyone run unless something was chasing you, right? And even then, we're weighing up whether it's worth it. But if your ability to run was taken away, you'd want to run every day of your life. You'd beg God for the chance to run. To, to people that have experienced that, running is not something they have to do, but something they get to do. And that's a lot more like our responsibility as believers. Why? Because as sinners, we were totally selfish and self-absorbed. We were, our lives were completely self-centered, and we had no hope of moving beyond ourselves into a place of serving others. We had no hope of giving without expecting something in return. The world just doesn't work that way. We only give when there's something in it for us, even if that for us means an Instagram post or something else. We, we, we only do things when it can ultimately benefit us. But the gospel gives us the ability to not be the center of our own lives. When the grace of God enters our lives, it gives us the gift of self-forgetfulness. The gift of self-forgetfulness. You you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're, no longer, you're liberated from the slavery of self. And so being able to live unselfishly and generously and hospitably and lovingly and, and in a way that is sacrificing for the sake of others, that's a gift that humanity cannot have without the grace of God. That's something we long for in our hearts. Because of God's grace, we get to take up a new way of living. We get to be generous. We get to sacrifice for others. We get to serve our city. We get to live for something bigger than ourselves, full of truth and meaning. It's what God's grace activates. The joy of responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, and I've mentioned the scripture so many times because to me, you know, I, I, I know that Whenever you preach about grace, people think that that means that you drop your responsibility and you just sit back and you just wait for God to do everything, which is something completely different, which I'll mention in a moment. But in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul gives us the antithesis of this where he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, I'm not worthy of being an apostle. I'm not worthy of being a Christian. I formerly, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This same Paul that it was prayed for, he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It didn't count for nothing. On the contrary, I worked harder. I worked harder than any of them, referring to the other apostles. I mean, that's a grand statement to make. These guys are building the early church. There's amazing things happening. They're leading churches of thousands. They're seeing thousands come to Jesus every day. There's huge things happening. And Paul goes, no, no, 
just want to let you know, it's here in Scripture, so it's true, that I worked harder than any of them. He says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's the wave of God that pushes me along the ocean, that pushes me along the shoreline. There is the power of God's movement in your life, but we have to take our responsibility to be in the ocean, to have the board, to learn how to get up and to learn how to ride that wave. So you work harder, but it's not you, it's not self-reliance, it's not being in your own strength, it's putting a demand on God's grace in your life, trusting it to move forward. And this is ultimately what Romans 12 says, 12.1 that I read, because he says, by his mercies, we should offer ourselves up because it's our worship. It's a form of worship. Give yourself as a living sacrifice because this is how we respond to the wave of God's goodness in our life. Worship is a response, first and foremost. We worship God in response to His mercy. That's kind of what that scripture is saying. In view of His mercy, worship Him. And this is the ability that we have to respond. And I just want to put that word responsibility up on the screen for a moment. Because if that's the word responsibility, we almost have a negative connotation about that word in the way we see it. As I've mentioned, we're trying to get away from responsibility. But when it comes to the gospel and God's work in our lives, we need to see what that word is by separating it into the two words that make it up, which is responsibility. If worship is a response and God's grace has come into our lives, He has given us the ability to respond, an ability we are grateful for because we didn't have it before. But now we get to respond. Now we get to answer the call. Now we get to be faithful. Now we get to sacrifice. Now we get to live for something bigger than ourselves. Now we get to have a bigger vision. Now we get to worship because God has given us a responsibility. What you do in your walk with God, in pursuing the dream and the vision He has given you, is, the, is by His ability, it's by His grace. Because of His grace, we can hear God's call and take up our responsibility. And taking up that responsibility, that ability to respond, is ultimately our spiritual act of worship. We don't do it so that God will accept us. We do it because God has accepted us. And like we see in Romans 12:1, that pleases God because He loves the fact that you get it, that you understand why he died for you, that you understand what his presence in your life has enabled you to do, that you're living. Like I, I have young, young boys and I want to see them grow up and I, wanna, I don't care what they do as long as it's play for the Springboks or play on the PGA Tour. But besides for that, they can do anything else and that, okay? But I, my heart is to see my children grow up and whatever it is that they're called to do, that they would do it with all of their heart. That pleases a father to know that a, that the, a child will grow up to fulfill their calling. And God feels that way about us. So when we take up our responsibility, it pleases God. He's like, that's it, they're getting it. They're putting a demand. They're, they're, they're relying on the grace that I've given them. I experience it. I can see it's working in their lives. So we don't do it so that God will accept us, but because He's already accepted us and because we're grateful that He has empowered us to live for Him. Philippians 2.13 kind of mentions this. It says, 
For it is God who works in you, He's working in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Again, that pleasure in seeing you take up your responsibility. But I love the fact that it doesn't say God just works in you so that you'll do it, like begrudgingly. Like even when it comes to giving, He's not like, I just want you to give. Fine, just give. I know you don't want to, but just do it. He's kind of saying that God is not just going to give you the ability to do it, but the ability to feel it. He's going to work in you both to have the will against your selfish will, in contradiction to your human nature, and the ability to actually fulfill what he's called you to do. We were in a community group, uh, Lee and I, we visited one of our groups this last week, and we had this discussion about the sovereignty of God. You know, sovereignty just meaning God is, um, you know, all-powerful and he's got rulership over all things and that he ordains everything. He preordains every single thing. And we're saying, how does this, and this is an age-old discussion, how does this interact with our free will? Is there such a thing as free will? Are we able to, to make certain decisions? Are there consequences for those decisions? And the question came about, if God is sovereign, then sh- why do I pray? A lot of people ask that. Why do I pray? Why do I, I um, you know, install an alarm system in my home to protect my family? Why do I take certain steps if ultimately God is just sovereign? Why do we pray if God's sovereign? Why do we buy alarm systems or work hard in our careers? Has he not predetermined every outcome? And we spoke about how Charles Spurgeon um, mentioned that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are like train tracks. They run parallel to each other. They work together. And when you look ahead on a train track, somewhere in the distance, those two train tracks become one. But nobody really knows exactly where. You couldn't pinpoint the location of, okay, there, that's where they become one. Because there is a blending and a mystical element to how much God ordains and has ordained and is preordained and where our responsibility is to pick it up. But what we do know is that the train cannot run on one track, on one line of the track. It needs both. It needs God's grace, and it needs, in that grace, responsibility. There's two approaches to this. The one is indifferent fatalism, and fatalism says, well, God's decided, so I might as well do nothing, and I'll just sit back and, and not act and just let you know, God decided the result already. And the other one is compatibilism, which says that God's sovereignty works, but I have free will, and I get to respond. I have the responsibility to respond to God's sovereignty and to His call. But the reason why we struggle with this, these two things, and this is what happens in spiritual maturity. When, when you're spiritually immature, you have to separate one thing and lock it down in a, in, in a little you know, cardboard box and put it away and go, I've got that doctrine down. But maturity is able to hold things in tension. Because this is one of those things that in Scripture we have to hold in tension because it's both. God is sovereign, but we have a responsibility. And it's like looking at a diamond from different aspects. It's the same diamond, but you'll see different reflections and different ways that it plays out. And so they actually are compatible in the way that we look at it, and they are meant to be held in tension. And the reason why we struggle is because we're always thinking about God's sovereignty in terms of results. But what we don't realize is that God doesn't only ordain results, He ordains means as well. He ordains the means. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean, because I just got super theological there for a moment. Please excuse me, church. But 
but this is ultimately what I'm saying. People could say, well, I'm going to write an exam tomorrow, but God is sovereign, so I'm not going to study. How many of you believe that you will pass that test because of your faith in God's sovereignty? Right? No one. Why? Because God didn't only ordain the result. He ordained the means. What's the means that God ordained for us to be able to, to pass? Studying. Learning. He wants us to learn. So he goes, I'm not going to just give you the result. I want you to go on the process. And so God doesn't, he is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he ordains the means for us. And so God has ordained your calling, your vision, your mission, the potential of this church. You know that our church has a potential, a God-given destiny, which is bigger than any of us can imagine. But you know that we can fail to reach that potential if we don't pick up our responsibility. God has ordained the means for us to get there and we need to pick it up. This is why we can be either faithful or unfaithful, a faithful servant or an unfaithful servant. And why Paul can say at the end of his life in Acts 26, 19, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That vision he got on the road to Damascus, it was given, there was a dream in his heart, a vision. And he says, I was not disobedient to that vision. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, and he says, I have fought the good fight. This is near the end of his life. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. That's up to us, to rely on God's grace and remain faithful. And now the prize awaits me. You see, we've got to take up our responsibility in the grace of God. To be faithful, you need to be full of faith. I'm just going to give a few points here for you. But number one, to be faithful, you need to be full of faith. You need to trust in Jesus and your identity in Him. That's what allows us to live these selfless lives, to rely on His grace and not on our own strength and to press into Jesus and to declare our dependence on Him continually, to hold fast to our intimacy with Him, knowing that we need Him because it's the feel that strengthens us to carry the weight that we are called to. And there is some weight. I'm always encouraged by this. Jesus incarnate, the Son of God, God with skin and bones on, laying down His rights of God and answering the call of the Father to die for the sins of all mankind. He's in the garden the night before His crucifixion, and what's He praying? God, can you take us away from me? <laughs> if you've ever struggled with your call, how amazing is it that even Jesus kneeled in the garden going, is there any other way, God? I don't want to do this. But then he surrenders. You can struggle. There's no problem with struggling as long as you also surrender. Struggle with surrender is a powerful thing. God, I'm struggling, but I submit. I surrender. And so the angels came. It says after he prayed, God was like, no, this is the only way. But the angels came and strengthened him. So God won't take you out of your calling, but he'll give you the grace to continue running in your calling. He did it for Jesus. He did it for Paul, who in Philippians 4.13 says, I know how to be abased, I know how to lack, I know how to be in plenty, I know how to abound, and in every situation I have learned to be content. And then the famous verse we always read, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you can do it but there's a learning to be content. There's a responsibility that we take up. The second thing, to be faithful. So number one, to be faithful, we need to be full of faith. Number two, to be faithful, 
we must take the bad with the good. If we read Paul's journey and what he faced and asked him if he would trade all those things he went through for just an easy road, I'm pretty sure he would say, I'm so grateful for the suffering I had on the road. Not that we glorify suffering, not that we you know, try and, and find our identity in suffering, but when you do suffer, you know that those trials counted all joy because they're perfecting your faith. It has value to it, and you can never separate value from sacrifice. If you love something, you'll sacrifice for it. And all the parents said, Amen. Third one, to be faithful, we must continually choose. It's not just a once-off choice to follow Jesus. It's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. It's a moment-by-moment choice. The enemy desires to lie to us about the value of that, that exists in other things. He did it with Jesus. He took him up onto a high mountain. He said, look, everything that you can see, all of these nations, I will give you the nations of the world if you will trade in your call for these nations. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. And he does the same with us still today. It's the same temptation over and over again. Will you trade in the call of God for comfort? Will you trade in the progress of the kingdom of God for your own desires. I will give you everything if you will just let go of the calling and the dream that God has given you. That's why it says that, that the God of this age has blinded the world from seeing Jesus. They look at things that are worthless and give it so much value. This is why I believe in heaven the streets are paved with gold. Not because wow, such expensive streets, but because gold has so little value in heaven. We use it as paving. We drive on it and walk on it. But on this earth, gold is everything. In heaven, it's nothing compared to the presence of God. We must continually choose to value the call of God and the truth of God above our own, above self. If you want to be faithful, you must continually choose to take up your responsibility in Christ. I'm going to end off by just mentioning two areas that really test our spiritual maturity and faith. Two areas where the rubber hits the road. Because I know a message like this, it's challenging, but it's just challenging enough that I didn't discourage you completely. So you're still in with me and you're like, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go out. And then I'll give you some real rubber hit the road markers to see how you're doing. But two things, two areas that will test your, your faith and your spiritual maturity. Number one, how much do I pray? Ah, oh, it's not such a nice sermon now anymore. <laughs> How much do I pray? Once again, God in His sovereignty ordained prayer as a means for the result. We go, well, why should I pray if God's going to give me the thing I want anyways? The book of James says, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, there may be things that God wants to give you that God has in store for you, things that He's ordained for your life, but you will not have it because you won't go to Him to ask Him for it. You know, when you realize that, you just start praying all the time. You think of something, you're like, oh, I don't know. God, can I have it? Like, any, can I have it? Can I do this? Can I go there? Can you ha- make this happen? Can you open this door? Can you close it? I'm just going to ask because perhaps it's the will of God for my life and I just don't have it because I haven't asked for it. Maybe there's a breakthrough that you're waiting for and you're like, when's God going to do this? Have you asked Him? He's ordained prayer as the means 
for us to have what we, what we ask for. That's why it says, if you ask anything in accordance with His will, you will have. So let's ask. Let's ask. Number one, how much do I pray? Number two, how much do I give? How much do I give? And this involves all forms of giving. This involves giving of ourselves, giving of our time, opening our homes, leading a group, giving of our comfort and all that. But it really comes home, and this is why Jesus spoke about it so much, it really comes home to our finances. It really comes home, the, the rubber hits the road, because the simple truth is that too many of us find our security in our money. Like we kind of sing that meatloaf song. I don't know if any of you have heard meatloaf sing recently. Just go and check it out on YouTube. We need to pray for that man, all right? So it's horrible. But in his prime, when he was singing that song, and they used a lot of auto-tune, he sang the famous song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I didn't want to sing it this morning because I didn't want to outshine meatloaf. But, <laughs> but how many of us said, I will serve God, I will go to church, I will serve in the cafe, I will pray for people, but I won't do that. I'll do anything for the call of God, but I won't give money. Money is a little too close to home. That's a private matter. That's my thing. I'll keep that to myself. People are so sensitive about this area. Even mentioning it in church is a dangerous thing because people find their security in it. I'm literally touching that sensitive part that, that has like a string directly to the center of your soul and it's like, no, not my money. Don't do it, pastor. Not you as well, you know. But we have to continually choose to value the kingdom higher than our own needs. If you knew your responsibility to the kingdom and became activated in your giving, you will find that you actually have the ability to respond. And through that, God blesses us. How much are we as a community? Here on the you know, one week away from our fourth birthday, how much are we as a community willing to sacrifice for a greater vision? To pay a price, to pioneer. We're a pioneering organization and pioneers always pay a greater price. How much are we willing to sacrifice for a greater vision so that like Paul, we can get to the end of our lives and say, his grace towards me was not in vain. Because we worked harder than them all. Even though it wasn't us, it was God's grace in me. It produced something in me. My prayer, and what I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for, is that we will be a radical community of faith. A radical community of faith filled with worshipers responding to God's call, giving beyond their comfort, praying for revival in our city, and serving His kingdom with all of our heart. Hebrews 3, verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. We have been called to faithfulness. Revelation 14 says, this is a call to the faithfulness and the endurance of the saints. We're called to endure. We're called to be faithful like Jesus was faithful. And we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it by His grace and with our newfound response 
ability. Amen? We're going to take it up. We're going to run forward. We're going to make a difference in the city. Mark my words. We are going to make a difference in the city. And we don't need to wait until we're 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 members. We can start making that difference right now. We can make a difference in our city. And we're going to do it as we together take up our responsibility. So I want to encourage you with that this morning. God's grace is with you. Let's ride the wave. Let's let that wave. Tonight, all of you are going to dream about surfing. You're welcome, okay? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Let's pray.